You're listening to Single Payer Radio. This is Kay Tillow with Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. And we're coming to you on forwardradio.org. That's 106.5 FM on your radio dial. And today we're very happy to have with us a registered nurse who works here in Louisville. And her name is Mary Radford. And she is also a member of the steering committee of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. So welcome, Mary. We're so glad you could be with us. Thank you for having me. So let me just talk a little bit uh, about who you are. Uh, You are a registered nurse. Do you have a specialty in which you work? Yes, um, I have been working in infection prevention for almost nine years now. I started out my career um, as an orthopedic nurse, so I I took care of a lot of uh, patients recovering from joint replacements and then kind of found my way to the infection prevention world and have been there ever since. Wow, that's a busy place to be these days. Yeah, it is. Yes, it certainly has been. I used to be asked, um, my, I even had old friends of mine and family members who, you know, after years of doing this, uh, asked what I like, now what do you do for a living and explain what your job is again. And no one asks me that anymore. Everyone's really got it down what I do for a living. They all all know about infection and the need for (laughs) prevention of that infection. Um, Could you tell us why you decided to support single-payer health care? Yeah, it goes back even before I was in the nursing field, I I would say. Um, I remember being actually in high school, and um, there was a another like a classmate who was telling me about for whatever reason this uh kind of this kooky uh senator from Vermont that was talking about having how the United States needed universal health care and I think he was trying to impress me and <laughs> let me know that he was, you know, very educated and watched the news. But I honestly, that was the first time, you know, I'd ever really heard the words health insurance. And so I asked what that was. And when I found out um, what it was, the first thought I had was, well, that doesn't make sense. What do we, what do we need that for? If you need to go to the doctor, just go to the doctor. Um, so I already kind of knew at that point that it was a bit of a scam, uh, but as I got older and, and certainly as I started my career in healthcare, I started realizing the consequences of insurance and, um, truly how damaging, um, a for-profit system is. Uh, so, um, I was actually trying to remember, I, I feel like I've been a member of Kentuckians for single payer um, forever. And I was trying to remember um, how I first found out about the group and when I first joined. And, and I, uh, I couldn't really remember, actually. I think it's just, it's just been a part of me for so long. 
long. It's, it's like, I've just always been a member of the family. Um, and it was also kind of funny because, you know, hearing about that crazy Senator from Vermont, eventually, you know, he, that guy ran for president. Right. And, um, <laughs> that Bernie Sanders and, you know, I, um, I did some stuff for his campaign and, and that was because I, you know, um, I've always just believed in a single payer system. Uh-huh. Well, he certainly did a lot to uh, put a, a Medicare for all on the map and bring it into a popular parlance so that so many people began to talk about it and advocate for it. So that was uh, very good. Okay, well, thank you, Mary, for that uh, brief introduction. And what I'd like to get to is to have some discussion using your area of expertise to talk about the pandemic and um, what it means for us. I just, I took a look at some figures today and I saw that with less than 5% of the world's population, we in the United States have the highest number of deaths from COVID-19. And that's mm -hmm. over 700,000 now. And you know it's higher than the countries that have many times our population, higher than India or China. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like to just tap into your expertise. Um, uh, why do you think that the US has uh, not done well during this pandemic? Well, I think the unfortunate reality and something that we, we all kind of have to have a little bit of a, a, a realization of is that we were a little bit doomed from the start. Um, you know, the United States already has some of the worst health outcomes amongst wealthy nations. You know, we our our life expectancy rate is lower than than comparable nations. Um, our maternal mortality is higher than um, other other wealthy nations. Our infant mortality um, is worse. You know, our our chronic conditions. You know, we have some of the highest rates of of chronic conditions in the world. So. We were already kind of, we, we were starting behind the eight ball already. And I think uh, COVID was really just kind of gasoline on the fire. Uh, we weren't set up for success. Uh, you know, we have these poor outcomes because there's this huge lack of access to healthcare. And simultaneously over the last decade, we've made, um, we have cut our public health services and the dollars that go to that in half. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so even during the pandemic, um, during the last fiscal year, they've cut uh, public health services by $8 million. Oh um, so why would you why would you cut funding to public health during a pandemic? I, I can't imagine. So I, I think it was just this perfect storm of, you know, first of all, health insurance premiums have, have risen, deductibles, all these different things that make access, even for people with insurance, more difficult. And then 
those areas that were supposed to be filling in those gaps, so public health, emergency preparedness, there's been cuts to those. So how are we ever gonna be prepared for a pandemic? We just weren't really gonna be able to do it well. It's, uh, it's shocking, I think, to many people in our country because there's kind of the myth that uh, we're number one mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. So when we find out that we're, we're doing so badly at the health of our people, it's a bit shocking. I think it makes us have to take a look at what in the world is going on that mm-hmm. this wealthy nation that has so many resources and so many doctors and nurses and mm-hmm. uh, you know a history of uh, much money, how come we can't do better than this in taking mm-hmm. care of our people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what is really unfortunate is that there's not enough people really getting down to the heart of the fact that the system is failing us. Um, It was before COVID and I'm afraid and worried that it will even after. And I think it's really easy to say, well, let's let's blame it on the anti-vaxxers. Let's blame it on these people that don't wanna wear masks or don't wanna social distance. And, you know, of course that, uh, I mean, there's an element of that, but I think we need to ask our government to take some ownership in that. You know, the, the public trust has been damaged because they were not taking care of people. So there was already the suspicion against them. You know, when you look at other health, public health measures, you know, we have communities out here like, you know, like in Flint, Michigan, like in areas of Eastern Kentucky and West Virginia, where, you know, you you turn on the faucet and you can't even get clean water in your home. So, you know, the the public trust has also been damaged as well. And our government has to take responsibility for the role that they've played in that. In making people not believe that it's working for Mm -hmm. their good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you think that um, environmental issues have had play an important role in the health of the nation now? I definitely do. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about public health services, you know, it's certainly disease prevention, um, you know, doesn't just mean, well, I mean, of course, access to health care is a huge part of that. Um, and that's what we talk about, you know, having that access in there. Um, And it's also environmental factors like healthy food, safe housing, clean water, you know, those kinds of things as well. Mm -hmm. So um, that might get off the topic a little too much. (laughs) um, So what, what could the United States have done differently when we were faced with the pandemic? Of course, that was when... Trump was talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. (laughs) You know, I think that we should have had better, um, better stay at home um, orders and mandates, you know, giving people more money to stay home. Um, 
I think there should have been um, more public health officials in place. That's another big thing that's been cut uh, over the deck over the last decade. In addition to just funds in general, they were cut. Uh, I think it's something like fifty six thousand jobs uh, within the public health sector, and they're not well paying jobs. Um, and so a lot of people don't stay in them long term, and um, just a lot of infrastructure needs that that should have been in place instead of necessarily you know putting all of it on um private sector first of all with things like vaccination rollouts um and then also putting so much pressure on hospitals that are all that you know in a lot of places are already stretched thin yeah well uh, we didn't have a uh, uh, adequate resources for doing the testing, did we? No, I, I didn't think so. Mm -mm. I no, I, yeah. I mean, I know hospitals did what they could, and you know, there were National Guard members in in a lot of cases that were called out. But I just think that you know, if you already had the infrastructure, if you already had the people who were prepared to do that work, you know, and that are experts in that field, as opposed to, you know, the military, I, I think you probably would have had some better outcomes. <laughs> right. <laughs> National Guard, who isn't, you know, if they're not trained in particular skills and health. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're training like an 18 year old uh, kid on the fly, how to do a nasal swab. I, you know, I don't know, rather than like a public health nurse who lives in her community, his or her community, you know, and um, it, maybe this sounds a little too kumbaya, but you know, public health um, doctor or nurse that is a member of their community that people can know and trust and have a good relationship with, you know, I think would be a lot better than rolling out, rolling out the boots, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I remember in the early days when, you know, uh, we didn't have enough of uh, the protective equipment, we didn't have the masks, we didn't mm -hmm. have tests. There was so much that we were totally unprepared mm -hmm. to have and they were crucial in, um, in terms of getting underway with the fight. But yeah, and I think that's another problem too is, is that prevention doesn't make money, you know? It's, it's, not, it's not like a real hard dollar that you can point to and say, you know, here's, a, you, you know, here's, here's how much money we're going to make by preventing diseases. You know, it's, it, we find out too late, um, unfortunately. So in a for-profit system, prevention doesn't doesn't quite meet that you know it, it's contrary to a for-profit system to invest in something that isn't quite as measurable as you know we make this much money doing whatever surgery or whatever procedure yeah it's it's soft dollars right it yeah so there's there's not as much and in, um incentive to invest in it 
So uh, do you think that a single payer system, uh, if we had had one before the pandemic, that we would have been better equipped to deal with this? Yeah, I do. You know, of course, there's uh, there's no way, I guess, to be completely sure. But I do know that a lot of these deaths that have been occurring do have associated comorbidities, uh, such as like heart disease and lung disease. And, um, you know, a lot of these chronic conditions that make COVID worse for patients are things that when they are caught early, can are very easily manageable. Um, and unfortunately, in a for-profit system where not enough people have access or even people who have insurance, you know, their deductibles are so high that going in for a regular checkup um, is financially not worth it for them. So then they wait until, you know, until it's an emergency. And now it's kind of too late to manage something like heart disease with diet, exercise, and, you know, mild heart medication, right? So we've already have, we already have all these sick people. So um, again, you know, so COVID was going to make that worse anyways. And we could have had a healthier population of people that, you know, it, it wouldn't have been as bad for them. Yeah, you know, we have a, uh, our, our healthcare system is really controlled by the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, their perspective is not one of care or service, but mm -hmm. their perspective is one that says that uh, uh, we think people use too much health care. Right. Uh, we think overuse is the problem. And uh, we want to put uh, barriers up uh, so that people don't go to the doctor too much. Uh -huh. And so there are not too many um, admissions into the hospital, et cetera. And, you know, that, that's their business model is uh, we're, we're preventing too much care when mm -hmm. really our problem is the opposite. Our problem is we have so many people who don't get care, even those who are insured because of the barriers they put up. You know, I saw that the amount of um, the average deductible in an employer-based health plan is $1,644. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. that's how much you have to pay before the insurance kicks in. So people are always looking at that, mm -hmm. uh, trying to triage their own family because mm -hmm. it costs so much just to be able to go. And that barrier, how would that be different in single payer, Mary? Uh, it would be different because there would not be a financial barrier to normal doctor's visits, uh, just getting things like regular checkups, you know, that we live in a system where going to the doctor has become a luxury item. And, um, you know, if people can't go ahead and 
get checked out and manage your care, catch problems early, then, you know, it's going to be really difficult for them down the road. And a lot of times, especially in the case of heart disease, you know, your body will compensate for as long as it possibly can. So if you have high blood pressure, your heart just starts working harder and harder and harder. So you might even miss some of those early warning signs, right? Until, and it's, your heart's gonna work harder until like it just really can't anymore. So then once that happens, you, you know, have really bad emergency problems. Um, whereas if people were able to just go and get normal checkups, you know, their blood pressure could be monitored. They could have a, they could have a, a provider that says like, oh, hey, your blood pressure is a little high. Let's look into that, you know, and, and stop these problems on the front end. Mm -hmm. Rather than trying to keep people away right. from the doctors. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it, our, our system is really set up uh, with all the opposite incentives. <laughs> Yeah, mm -hmm. um, that are functioning um, rather than being built around patients and uh, around keeping people healthy and getting people the care they need early on. Yeah, the for-profit model has even hurt, you know, how we have been able to get vaccines out even globally because, you know, they didn't want to share the patent for the vaccinations. So we saw these, you know, oh. these exploited countries, these overly exploited countries like um, India, you know, when their numbers shot up because they couldn't get vaccines out, you know, and that, I mean, that impact, so that's an impact on global health as well. Uh-huh, and uh, we still are a long way from getting vaccines around the world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's because of the patents, it's because of the, uh, the pharmaceutical industry controlling the patents. Is that the reason, Mary? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a big part of it. You know, I, I think there is a little bit of um, this misconception, and I, I think probably purposefully done by pharmaceutical industry that says like, well, we can't just give the patent away because there's not infrastructure um, in some of these, you know, poor nations, but that's just not the case. Um, in fact, like I, I learned on Al Jazeera that, you know, the continent of Africa has some of the best microbiology labs in the world, which, you know, kind of makes sense because they've, they've had, you know, these issues with Ebola and stuff like that, that they've had to, that they've had to combat. So uh, it's, it's not, you know, so they'll try to say like, oh, well, it's because we have to, you know, make sure it's done right when really they could, they could just probably give it away and, and nations would be fine to, to, you know, create and develop it on their own, but they won't do that, right? Uh, I didn't know that, that Africa has some of the best microbiology labs yeah. in the world. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. You know, it's insane for us to not be concerned about other nations getting the vaccine because it'll just keep going no matter right. how much we vaccinate, right? Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Won't it right. 
as long as there is a population somewhere in the world, the virus, doesn't it continue to mutate? Yeah, it definitely can. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, so it's going to come back to bite us as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's not really good for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a question of where, you know, our future is bound up with the future of everyone, you know. Right. You know, either this thing uh, stays rampant and is a constant and hopefully it will come under control. But I think that the, the vaccines have to be shared. You know, wasn't it um, Jonas Salk who invented the polio vaccine? You remember? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember what he said? He said, um, oh gosh, what did he say? I mean, I know he gave it away. I can't remember the quote associated with it. I'll have to look it up. I can't imagine. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was something about he didn't want to, you couldn't patent it because it belonged to everyone. That's right. Yeah. Like, Could you patent the sun? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> if the pharmaceutical companies could, they would certainly do it. <laughs> they would do it. <laughs> if they could Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> if they could block off those rays, they would certainly be in position to charge for it. So that's right. I know, you know, when you look at the, um, if you look at the Fortune 500, those, um, Pharmaceutical companies are raking in much more dough than even oil companies are the, you know, the ones we used to think of as the ones who dominated the Fortune 500. The pharmaceutical companies are just making so much money. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, they claim that, well, they have to have that money because they have to do so much research and development. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's um, not, that's not so, is it? <laughs> no. Um, let me see. Uh, did you see I uh, posted on um, a Kentuckians for Single Pair Instagram just the other day, the report from um, Public Citizen. Americans are paying pharmaceutical corporations more than the world's 20 top selling drugs than the rest of the world combined. Oh my goodness. So why do these other countries, you know, have these reasonable prices on these drugs, but we have to be price gouged? That's not adding up, right? That doesn't <laughs> add up. But that, no. that reminds me, we have an Instagram account for Kentuckians for single-payer healthcare. So those of you who have an account, go look us up and uh, stay in touch with us that way. We also have a Facebook at, uh, page at Kentuckians for Single-Payer Healthcare. And we have a website, which is kyhealthcare dot org so we invite the listeners to follow us and keep up with us and to be a part of this effort to bring our country up to a higher standard of providing health care for all of its people that's right we deserve it we do and every single human being deserves it 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the idea that there are some who are not deserving or there should be a lower tier of health care for those who don't quite measure up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Those are not, those are ugly, ugly ideas that think mm-hmm. that some people are not deserving of uh, what we can provide. You were recently involved in a, a presentation on single payer in uh, somewhere in our community. Would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, um, we did a presentation at the Beachmont Library, uh, not this past weekend, I believe it was the one before, um, where we invited members of the community to come and uh, we gave a very good presentation, if I do say so myself, me and um, Adam Romano, who is a member of single payer, um, Kentuckians for single payer, as well as uh, my comrade with the DSA. Um, and so we kind of split it up to where I provided some background information about you know, what the issue is and why we needed um, Medicare for all or or some type of universal coverage. And Adam did um, some follow-up with some action items that um, people could take and talked a little about, you know, getting more of the word out and, um, you know, letting people know and that this is is an option that we should be fighting for and talking about. Um, And we had a pretty good turnout. We had a few people from the community come in. Um, So it was, it was really good. Yeah, we liked, we liked it a lot. We had a lot of people there. And uh, how did they respond to that message? Pretty positively. Yeah, I think um, we hit on some important things. You know, I, I think sometimes it can feel a little when you're doing these kinds of events, it can feel a little like you're kind of shouting into the eco chamber. But I do think there's a lot of value in that uh, because people might learn something new. Um, People might learn how to talk about it with their families a little better than they did before. I know that you know, I benefit a lot from, you know, our meetings and our relationship, especially with you. I mean, you've just been quite an inspiration for me and my activism and how important it is to, you know, learn how to have these conversations and also, especially, you know, learning how to stay active and involved too, because sometimes it can feel like, okay, like we're all mad about this thing. Let's have a venting session and then kind of now what do we do, right? Um, But adding that element to it of, you know, let's talk about canvassing, let's talk about direct action, let's talk about phone banking, let's talk about harassing politicians, (laughs) like all those kinds of things, I think are important as well. Oh, that's great, Mary. Well, I, I think that nothing is more crucial than going out and talking with members of the public about Medicare for all or national single payer healthcare, because I think that, um, you know, most of our people are for everybody getting care. Um, Mm -hmm. Only a few (laughs) people, you know, don't Mm -hmm. think that should happen, but they are not 
uh, committed to single payer in general. In general, they're not into health policy. So they simply say, well, whatever works, you know, mm -hmm. um, right. or whatever works. And that's left people open to a, a big push that says, well, we should build on the Affordable Care Act mm -hmm. and uh, just patch it up and improve it and move from there into universal health care. How do you deal with that when people say that, Mary? Well, um, I would say that, you know, things like the Affordable Care Act, first of all, we already know it's failed people. Um, it failed people before COVID and it's failing people now. Um, you know, over the years since uh, since the Affordable Care Act has been put in place, um, deductibles have gone up steadily. Um, I don't, I think they have been on a consistent increase over the years. They, they've, they've not gone down, I, I believe. I don't uh, think so. I think they did one year, I think they went down by a percent. But other than that, they've gone up a little every year. So the Affordable Care Act is not covering people. It's, um, a, it's basically a subsidy for insurance companies. So we still have the main problem that I recognized at 16 years old that insurance companies <laughs> are completely unnecessary and they are a middleman that we don't really need that just create a barrier for care. Yeah, so, and in the pandemic, you know, people were losing their jobs um, and losing their coverage. And, you know, I would make the comment to people, you know, if we had Medicare for all, at least these people would, we would still have healthcare and people are going to need healthcare because we're in a pandemic, right? So, <laughs> and that, the backlash I got from that was like, well, they can get on COBRA and I'm going, do you know how much COBRA costs? Like, oh. It's, it's, <laughs> explain that, Mary. What is COBRA? Oh, gosh. So you can probably explain it a little better than me. But essentially, it's it's insurance for or quote unquote insurance for um, people who are out of work. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's very expensive. It's essentially. I think I heard a low estimate was a thousand dollars a month, correct? Yeah, I think um, it's probably more than that. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm being conservative, <laughs> which I don't normally do. But. Yeah, basically, when people say, "Well, this is a crazy system where when you get sick and you can't work, yeah, um, you no longer have the insurance to deal with the sickness," and right. Um, uh, that it doesn't make any sense to have our health insurance tied to our employment. But so they passed COBRA, I remember when it was passed, and it basically just said that the insurance company that covered you at work has to allow you to pick up the payment that the employer used to pay. So if you pick that up and pay it yourself, they have to continue you 
on that insurance plan for a certain period of time. I've forgotten whether it's a year, 18 months or something. But the problem is that it's so much money. Right. Yeah. No one can use that and you're out of work. Like that doesn't right. make any sense. Right. Now, yeah. uh, now I can pay a thousand dollars a month for my health insurance now that I don't have a job, right? Right, yeah. Uh, you know, we saw that. I mean, it was tragic. I don't know how high unemployment went during the those horrible days of mm-hmm. the pandemic, but it was really high. And, and uh, think about how many people lost their health insurance just as we faced the pandemic. So what did they do? I would imagine that people... Uh, hesitated to go get tested or go to the doctor, partly because they didn't have the coverage when facing that. And I think that made it worse for us. Yeah. And I mean, even even if you found a, you know, a place where you could go and get tested for free, and there were certainly, there were a lot of those, but you have to be able to drive there. And, you know, if you're out of work, I mean, is, is transportation is, is, you know, is transportation reasonable for you at that point? You know, if you don't have a car and you have to get on buses, I mean, now you're in a situation where now you're around people, right? I mean, now you are putting yourself at risk um, and you don't have health insurance. So you literally can't afford to get sick. So, and uh, um, I mean, some of the free testing sites are, are difficult to get to and a lot of them were drive-through right like (laughs) like the the big one at the um fairgrounds it was drive-through so if you don't have a car how do you get there right yeah how do you do that you can't go walk through that right yeah yeah i don't think so (laughs) i think that uh, the state of kentucky tried to expand um uh, some of the Medicaid coverage during that period of time. I'm not certain how effective that was, but I do think that there was an effort. Um, I remember when Bashir said that um, he was shocked by reading the statistics at how much greater was the, the, were the deaths in the African-American community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that he was going to make sure that every every African-American was covered in the state during that period of time. I doubt mm-hmm. that he accomplished that, but I do yeah. think they tried to expand the Medicaid. But, you know, Medicaid is a, a means-tested program, right. mm-hmm. and it's not equal. Have you seen problems with people who have Medicaid coverage? Um, you know, Medicaid just doesn't, it just doesn't really work. Like, because like you said, it's means tested. Um, so it's people who have it still have barriers. Uh, there's a lot of stigma associated with that and the services, you know, aren't really, aren't really that, aren't really that great. Um, I'll go back to my, my former life as an orthopedic nurse. I had several times, I had patients who 
were so happy that they were able to get their joint replaced because they had turned 65 and, they, and their Medicare coverage kicked in and they had been suffering. Some of these people were suffering for 10, you know, over 10 years. So, um, but they couldn't afford to get their, their replacement. So it's like Medicaid wasn't there when those people needed joint replacements that could have vastly improved their quality of life. So it's, yeah, like you said, it's this means tested program where people have to, um, first of all, go through the humiliating experience of proving that they're poor. And then when they, right, I mean, and then when they utilize it, there's a stigma associated with it. And then they also have to uh, have the many times have the gut wrenching decision of, you know, maybe choosing not to do things like take a better job or, you know, that would pay them more or, you know, advance in, in their, in their workplace uh, because they could potentially lose their health coverage through Medicaid, which is already not great, but it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, I know yeah. that there are doctors in uh, our organization who were so thrilled with the expansion of Medicaid in Kentucky. And indeed it covered about, I think half a million people that mm -hmm. didn't have coverage. And, you know, uh, those physicians saw people who, you know, with uncontrolled diabetes and all kinds of things who finally came in and they really saw it as, you know, kind of a miracle that, you know, at least something came uh, to help uh, this group of people. Right. But, uh, so, you know, I guess you can look at it that way, but you can also look at it that it pays the doctors and the hospitals at a much lower rate, which means... Right that we have placed a value on care for that portion of our population at a very low rate. And I would say a doctor's office who had only Medicaid patients probably couldn't sustain the practice on the rate that it pays. So, yeah. um, you know, it's a two, it makes a two tier system. It means that people are not equal. And <laughs> that's one of the things about single payer by gosh, we're not going to have two tiers. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, if it's a single payer system, um, and, and this is why I, my, what I would say is our public health in general is going to improve because if it's a system that everyone pays into, everyone is invested in it. And um, everyone has this, an equal, an equal incentive to want the care to be good. And that's, uh, you know, it's, it's the tide that raises all boats, really. Right, right. You know, I think if we can win single payer healthcare, it may be a beginning of us being able to take on some of the other crises that are happening within our country, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, this is so important because it affects absolutely every single person. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, with, with, um, with a lot of leftist causes, there's kind of this, uh, there's this thread, this kind of golden thread that connects everybody. Um, and, you know, 
when we talk about Medicare for all, we're also talking about, you know, um, supporting labor unions. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about Black Lives Matter. You know, we're talking about better equality for uh, women's health and women's reproductive rights. So it's, it's all these different things that, you know, all tie in together. And Medicare for all, or single payer healthcare, uh, whatever we want to frame it or name it, you know, as long as, as long as it's the program that we want, and as long as everyone's in, nobody's out, you know, that's, that's going to be a big support for um, other, other social justice issues. And this is a social justice issue. You know, having um, a lack of health care, like you said, you know, Governor Bashir seeing how devastating, you know, health care, health outcomes is for African-Americans. I mean, they across the country, they get the short end of the stick. I, I remember being in nursing school. This is kind of a sidebar, but we were learning about as we were like learning about all these different like chronic health conditions. And it was, you know diabetes and heart disease and all these different things. And they would talk about what are the risk factors. African-American descent was consistently a risk factor. So you read that and you go, wait, what's that about? You know, it's, I mean, it's, there's, there's absolutely something to the idea that, you know, and I'm not saying that single payer healthcare is going to do anything like end racism in general, but it, but we do know that it can save lives for people of color. Um, you know, and if we want to talk about black lives matter, then, you know, we do need to support Medicare for all. I agree, Mary. I think that, you know, I don't think we get it and we'll instantly do away with the discrimination and the inequities but it seems to me like it's the basic foundation for starting because you have to cover everybody. You have to make mm -hmm. healthcare accessible to people. You know, we've seen um, the hospitals and uh, move uh, out of the West End, out of the South End, and all of them moving yeah. to the East End. <laughs> everybody right. Wants to yeah. Everybody wants to build a hospital in the East End, uh, far, yeah. far away from the working class and African-American populations. And that's because mm -hmm. the private insurance is uh, concentrated among the wealthy people that are in those parts of the. And so we don't build hospitals to serve uh -huh. people. We build them to serve people. <laughs> uh, you know, to serve the money-making procedures that are in healthcare. And that's just wrong. If we had single payer, then every single person would be a paying patient and paid for at the same rate, which mm -hmm. would do away with that, that stigma of Medicaid, that, that unequal uh, payment for your health. And then we should be able to build hospitals and clinics in institutions where we need them mm -hmm. uh, because all of us would equally be paying patients. Right. And in rural areas as well, you know, it's, it's really hard to keep rural hospitals open because there's, there's no room for financial error in those areas, you know, because 
there's such a big lack of of coverage for that those communities as well. Yeah, that's why you know our single payer plans. Uh, we propose global budgeting so that every hospital would be paid whatever they need to function on an annual basis and wouldn't have to be worried about being able to exist, but we would support the institutions that are crucial to making sure that we have health care. Um, mm -hmm. So there's there's so much to be gained by having a you know a national single payer plan and improve Medicare for all. And you know, I think we have majority that's that are for it now. And yeah. uh, we're having difficulty in making that impact felt by the politicians who supposedly represent <laughs> that majority. That's a difficult thing. You have any advice as to how we, uh, how we might be more effective in, in making this happen? Um, I, I think that we need to just make sure that we are staying um, on target, that we are not losing focus. Like you said um, earlier, I can't remember quite how you said it, but you know, if we say whatever it is, you know, that leaves us vulnerable to getting a less than um, sufficient plan. So I think one of the things that, you know, we on, um, we as activists and us on the left need to really do is make sure that we're all on the same page as to what it means to support a true single payer healthcare plan. Now, I don't care really about the name, you know, they yeah. can call it whatever they want, but the components of it, you know, are really what counts. So that means, you know, free across the board for all people, no deductibles. It's going to cover our mental health. It's going to cover vision. It's going to cover dental. Um, all of those things that, again, are quote unquote, luxury items now. Um, it's going to cover everyone from, you know, natural born citizens to migrants to uh, people who are just here for a nice visit. Uh, you know, it's going to cover everybody in the country. And, um, and it's going to, oh, and uh, drug, drug costs as well you know, there, there can't be any, I, I think that we really have to make sure that uh, we are really clear about what the demand is and then just keep making it over and over and over again with one voice. I think one of the things we need to do is that I think is a little bit of a challenge is finding our ways onto, you know, media, I think can be difficult and maybe we need to look at other avenues to do that, such as, you know, instead of focusing on mainstream media, uh, maybe more independent um, media outlets is, is where we could go to get our word out. You know, my, this is a weird sidebar. My brother-in-law was talking about, you know, this demonstration that was done in DC from these people who were supportive of the January 6th rioters and how they, 
there wasn't really a whole lot of people there, but the camera crew was kind of doing these tricks to make it look like there were, there were these big crowds and they were, you know, interviewing all of these people, absolutely everyone, you know, so it looked like it was kind of a bigger deal than it was. And I was thinking back to, you know, the March for Medicare for All, where we had thousands of people in 56 cities across the country, and there was almost no media coverage, you know, aside from like some local stations. And that's so frustrating. It so, is. Yeah, so... It is. Uh, well, Mary, I, I hope that you can help us to find our way to get into that independent media and the social media and to use it more effectively because I think that um, it is, you know, uh, we are silenced. Uh, the national media tends to say, mm -hmm. well, okay, Medicare for all is there, but it's not possible. So we're not going to even talk about that. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And people don't really like it as much as, you know, the left one to say they do. <laughs> <laughs> and that isn't true. People really, really do when they understand it. It's that uh, there's overwhelming support for it. That's right. And mm -hmm. um, when we talk about, you know, the problems that the insurance companies causes, everybody's faced that, you know, they know that that's true. <laughs> and then when they learn that our system costs double, what healthcare mm -hmm. costs per capita in other industrialized countries, and they have better outcomes, then people say, well, if it costs less, why shouldn't we have it? You know, uh, there's right. always a, yeah. an effort to make it sound like it's going to cost a fortune, and therefore we can't have it because it just costs too much money. When the mm -hmm. opposite is the case, those countries who have single-payer systems pay less and have better outcomes than we do. So when people right. know that, hopefully yeah. the more and more people are gonna come forward to help us to fight for this and uh, to become more effective at, uh, at uh, making that case and uh, to begin to cut our political figures off from uh, those uh, influences that keep Mm -hmm. to influencing them in in the opposite direction right and we'll ne we'll never be able to outspend the pharmaceutical health health insurance lobbies you know we we won't be able to to outspend them in those kinds of dollars but i think we can we can be louder and we can be in greater numbers and that's our strength, you know, that that's our advantage over them because, you know, we are the many and, and they are the few. And that's what we really need to lean into and focus on. That's right. We'll never have their money, but they'll never have our people. That's people, right. <laughs> people will not come out in the millions to stand up for the pharmaceutical <laughs> companies, right? <laughs> they will not do it. <laughs> The people, nope. <laughs> the people will be on our side. So that's what we keep working for. And uh, we really believe that, you know, when the people are with you, it becomes a possibility. 
and uh, it becomes inevitable once uh, we get people into motion with a deep understanding of what they have to do. So we're grateful to you, Mary, for all of the work that you've done to both as a nurse, because you're working every day to protect <laughs> us from, uh, from the infections that are trying to invade our lives and our hospitals. And we're grateful to you for the work that you do for improve Medicare for all for a single payer system. And uh, we're really glad to have you on our show. We have just a little bit over a minute left to be able to talk. You're listening to WFPL 106.5 FM forward radio. Anything you'd like to say as we close out this show, Mary? Yeah, um, I want to say how grateful I am for Kentuckians for Single Payer. You know, like I said, this this was always something I knew um, I wanted to support and work on. And I mean, when I found this group, it was it was great. And I've I have really cut my teeth on um, my journey as an activist because of all the things that. I have learned um, from this group. So I'd encourage anyone, you know, if you're if you're interested in, you know, learning more and being involved with, um, you know, establishing single payer in the US, you know, look us up. I mean, we're we're really a pretty great group. <laughs> oh, that's great, Mary. Thank you so much for the work that you do and for making this radio show and Hopefully, we'll be able to make many more of them. Our shows air three times a week on Forward Radio 106.5. And you've been listening to Mary Radford, RN, infection control specialist and a registered nurse who works hard to make care better for her patients and for all of us. Thank you, Mary. Thank you.